Don't take that the wrong way. We're glad you're here. We just hope next time you come, you'll have somebody else with you, all right? Amen. <laughs> she probably wishes that a whole lot more than we do, don't she? Amen. Now, we're glad for each and every one of you that's here this morning. So glad for the presence of the Lord that's here with us as well. Amen. Colossians chapter 2 is where we are reading today, beginning in verse number 1. Colossians chapter number 2, beginning verse 1 this morning. It says these words, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And this is the word of the Lord this morning. We have been looking here in the book of Colossians. Considering this idea, considering this theme, that Christ is indeed greater. He is superior. The supremacy of Christ is the point of the book of Colossians. Reminding this church that Christ is all you need. We need to be reminded of that as well because as we see, and we'll see here in a few moments, there are those who would tell you that there is a better way. There is a different way. There is a way that's better for you. I mean, this this Christianity thing is so old-fashioned, so out of date. Two weeks ago, we mentioned the fact that Paul had a goal in his ministry. This goal was found in chapter 1, verse 28, where Paul says his desire is to present everyone mature, complete in Christ. That was his objective as someone who went around preaching, laboring in his churches. He wanted to stand before God and to stand there and say, look at the church in Colossians, look at the church in Thessalonica, look at the church in Philippi, look at how they are mature and complete in Christ. And this again is our goal, our objective as believers. We want to stand complete, we want to be filled with the righteousness of Christ, not filled with our own ways, not filled with our own deceitfulness, but filled with Christ. We want to get to the place as a church to where we understand that in Christ we have all that we need. Man, we're living in a world that's coming at us again, targeting our lives. We are dealing with an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and 
destroy us. The world we are living in wants to see believers completely destroyed and and done away from from their relationship with Christ. And yes, He will use the, the temptations and the vices of this world, but He will also come against us with arguments. Come against us saying, look, you're an American, and as Americans, we are completely self-reliant and self-sufficient, and we can do our own thing. He wants to come at us with, with, again, enlightening arguments, if you would, saying, look, we live in a rational world, a scientific world, a world that doesn't need these old-fashioned religious things. There is something better out there. The question you must ask yourself is this. Do you find your hope, your satisfaction, Christ alone? Are you content to know that in Christ you have all of you you need? Are you willing to rest and trust in Him and in His work alone? Or do you think this morning... Maybe this church doesn't have what you need. Maybe this Bible doesn't have what you need. Maybe Jesus really doesn't have what you need. That there's something else out there. If you're looking for commitment, if you're looking for purpose, meaning in life, if you're looking for the answer to life's challenges, problems, you will not find it in anything else but Jesus Christ. I challenge you this morning, do not look, do not turn to the right or to the left. Do not be swayed by something that seems so convincing, that seems so powerful, that seems so enlightening. Do not be turned by anything else. There is nothing else you need but the cross. The cross, the Christ who died upon that cross, who rose again, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Find in Him all you need today. And so as we begin, we notice, first of all, Paul's great struggle. His great struggle for the church. Paul is continuing his thought. His thought from the last chapter. Mentions in verse 21 how he has been rejoicing in his suffering for their sake. Again, not that the apostle is some kind of masochist that just loves pain and loves the experience of pain, but, but he rejoices because he knows that all of the sufferings he has been facing has brought the gospel to them, has shared and opened their hearts to the work of Christ. In verse 29, he tells us again that he is toiling struggling, struggling with all of the energy that Christ provides him, that the Holy Spirit provides them so that he might achieve this goal, this objective of finding them complete and mature in Christ. And here he says, I want you to know, know about the struggle that I've had. Look at verse 1, I want you to know how great of a struggle I've had for you. For those of Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. It's important to remember that the apostle may not have been to Colossia at this time. He may not have been to Laodicea, and yet we're told, we're told even as he has sent others to the church to find out how they're doing, and, and he's come back with good reports to hear of their faith in Christ. 
told that the Apostle Paul still has this burden, this struggle. It's going on in his life, a desire to see the fullness of Christ living in their life. His heart burns and pleads with passion, with desire for these churches. Maybe referring, of course, to his constant prayers for them, his pastoral care for them. Even though this is exercised through other, even as he has to send others and says, hey, this is how you need to handle this situation in the church. This is what you need to tell them. He naturally, though, as someone who feels like this church has been born out of these struggles, he has considerable anxiety about these young Christians, even though he himself has not instructed them face to face. Do you know, we think about this verse and, and all I can say is thank God for the ones, the ones who struggle, who have struggled in prayer on our behalf. And aren't you glad that you can think of individuals in your life that has struggled, that has borne you before the throne of God and has prayed for you? Thank God for those of you who struggle for the kids you teach in Sunday school or in the nursery class and you sit there and you, you pray for them and your heart is burdened for them. Those of you that teach at the Christian school and, and it's more than just a, a care that they learn how to read and write, but yet you bring them before the throne of God and you pray for them and you intercede on their behalf. For those of you that may never be in a position of teaching or instructing at the church, and yet, yet there's prayers that are going up on, from you on behalf of this church, on behalf of those who do teach and share the Word of God, you pray for them. I am so thankful that God has put people in my life that I know are praying for me, that I know are caring for me, that I know a desire to see my faith in Jesus Christ be established. Thankful for those of you that come. I realize not everybody can come on a Tuesday at noon. Those of you that come faithfully and you pray weekly and again, those that are not able to come and gather your working or whatever the case might be, and yet, yet you pray for this church. May God bless your efforts and your struggle. Paul has a desire. He has a desire and he tells them, I want you to know what kind of a great struggle I have had as I've borne the burden of the, your church upon my heart. So Paul has a great struggle for the church. Secondly, then we see his great desire. His great desire. Why is he burdened? Why is he struggling? Why is he going through all of the efforts, all of the physical hardships and pain that he has going on and the great anxiety that he has in his life? What is the reason for doing this? Some of you are professional worry warts and God bless you for that. I'm glad you do. <laughs> Some of us probably can worry a little bit more, you know, until saying, why pray when you can worry? That's not what the Apostle Paul is doing. There, there's a reason. There's a reason he's going through this anxiety. There's a reason he's going through this struggle. He mentions here a couple of goals. A couple of goals that he defines. The first one is this, their encouragement. Their encouragement that comes 
from being united in love. Paul says, I'm struggling, I'm working as hard as I can, and the reason I'm working is that you might have encouragement. Encouragement that comes from your lives being united together. United together in love. Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged. Being knit together in love. Desire of the Apostle Paul is that the church of Colossia would stand strong together as a church. The church would be strong, one in heart, one in spirit, one in body. If there's any need that we need in churches today, in our church today, it is that we as a church would be united together, that we would truly be one body in the Lord. Live in a world that is fracturing. People are being split into tribes and factions, divisions, groups. You've probably heard of that term intersectionality. Which describes the way that different types of discrimination overlap in a marginalized or oppressed person's experience. It's the idea that a person's true identity can be measured by how many victim statuses we can call our own. The more victim statuses you can claim in life, the better, the better you can speak of justice and oppression, and that is what our world is coming to. Oh, you're a Christian, heterosexual, white male. You're at the top of the food chain. You're female, you're one step below, but yet you're still a heterosexual, white Christian. And so there are people that are more impressed by, oppressed, I should say, than, than you, and they have more opportunity, should be given more opportunity. You see what kind of damage it does to our culture, our society. But we also see that living in such a way, and again, this isn't to whitewash any oppression or anything that's going on in our society as a country or may still exist today, but the problem is this mentality does nothing but divide us. It divides us. And we're going to see in chapter 3 in this book alone, we also see it in Galatians, that when we come together in Christ, we become one with each other. And in Christ, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female. That's not to say that these ethnicities are gone away with, but it is to say that we are equal at the foot of the cross. We stand together as one. Paul's desire is that the church would be united in love, be encouraged by being united in that way. Imagine a church where someone who might be serving as an elder might be serving as an elder to someone sitting in a pew who was his master. The elder was a slave, and that's, that's exactly what Paul was talking about and going for and what existed in many churches in ancient Roman times where slaves and masters would sit together and even the slaves would have a higher position of prominence in the church. 
But again, if we're not encouraged and united together, we find ourselves fracturing. Find ourselves dividing. We find ourselves being split over sometimes the very smallest and most insignificant things. That is not what Christ desires for us. That is not what the apostle Paul desired. He prayed that they would be encouraged because their hearts were knit together. Knit together. When their hearts are knit together in love, it would reach a second goal, which is this, their complete, their complete understanding of who Christ is. Why do their hearts need to be knit together? It does because it helps them to completely, completely understand. I mean, it's one thing to have unity. We have a world that cries out for unity. Why can't we all get together? And I'm like, I'm fine. I'm for all that. Let's get together and rally and believe that every life is precious and sacred and not seek to destroy them when they're in their mother's womb. Well, we can't get together over that. Come on. You have to have more than just mere unity. We have to be united around truth, united around what is right. And the apostle states here that he is pressing for, desiring that the church would truly, really, fully understand Knowledge of God's mystery. What is the knowledge of God's mystery? Well, he defines it there. In verse 2, it is Christ. It is Christ. We see this in verse 26 of the last chapter. Paul is giving a stewardship to make the Word of God fully known. The mystery that's been hidden for generations, but now has been revealed to us. And again, what does he say that mystery is? He says it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And now he repeats this, that their hearts may be encouraged in verse 2, being knit together in love to reach the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. This is what God had hidden throughout millennia, really, before the time of the coming of Christ. But now he has revealed it in its fullness. And Paul says, I want you to know to understand completely and fully what it means that Christ is living in your heart. Do you really understand what it means? I mean, we do this. We say, you need to accept Christ as your Savior. You need to invite Christ into your life. But do you truly, fully understand too many of us, it means, well, I'm just, okay, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to get a harp in a cloud one day when I die. There's so, so much more. So much more. John chapter 1, verse 11, he came to his own. His own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become Children of God. When you receive Christ, you become a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am 
a child of God. Your blood now flows through my veins. I am His, and it does not matter if my own mother and father reject me. I know that Christ is my Father. He is my Heavenly Father. And I am His. Romans 5 verse 10, While we are enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. The relationship has been restored between us and God. We have been reconciled. We have been made one. We saw that word in Colossians chapter 1, again verse 15. And Paul uses it here in Romans, talking about the fact that because of who we are in Christ, we have been reconciled to God. Relationship has been restored. Romans chapter 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because I am a child of God, the sin that once held me back, I am not condemned by them anymore. They no longer press upon me and tell me you are a dirty, rotten sinner. I am free. There is no condemnation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in new Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Who did you used to be? It doesn't matter now. Who you used to be no longer matters. Who you are now is what counts. It's what counts. Alcoholics Anonymous will tell you you're a recovering alcoholic. The Bible will tell you you are a saint. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Yes, you may struggle and you may find yourself lapsing into drunkenness once in a while, but it no longer has to define you. You can be defined by what Christ has done in your life. Let the old Stay in the past. Let the old stay where it is, dead and buried. Visions 1 verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Redemption is a term that means a purchase to buy with a price used in connotation with the idea of slavery. Christ has redeemed us and He has forgiven us all of our trespasses. All of them. Yeah, but not this one. I mean, that one was really bad. Yeah, well, guess what? That one is really forgiven. That one is really gone. Doesn't matter what it was. If you are in Christ, you are forgiven. Philippians chapter 4, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your crest be made known to God in the peace of God, 
The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a deep, settled peace abiding in my soul. Since I have found this friend divine, he from sin did release. Love waves over me roll. The victory today is mine. Don't you understand the world is falling apart? Aren't you in a place of, of chaos and turmoil? No, there's, there's peace in my heart. Why? Because the, I, I don't know why. I don't know. It's beyond my comprehension, but it's guarding my heart and mind because I am in Christ Jesus. The world doesn't understand that. Far too often we as Christians don't allow that peace to control our lives. We give in to the chaos. We give in to the fear. We give in to the turmoil. That old story about how the teacher asked the students to paint a picture of peace and so many painted a nice, beautiful, lovely day and the kid that won actually painted the stormy, terrific, horrific storm that you can imagine possible but there in the cleft of the rock he put that little bird who was safe and dry protected that's what we are that's what we have in Christ Jesus the peace of God which even passes all understanding 1 Peter 5 verse 7 casting all all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you Casting all your burdens. Did you lay awake last night staring at the ceiling, tossing and turning? You hear this morning carrying the weight of the world upon your shoulder. There's a place you can lay it down. And you can go to bed tonight and say, Lord, you know what you're doing. You've been running this world for a long time. I am going to give this anxiety to you. Guess what? He cares. He cares for you. And then he, he will bear that burden gladly, gladly on your behalf. See, some of you parents with younger children, you're carrying coats and hats and gloves and shoes and toys and lunch bags and book bags and everything else. Why are you doing that? Why don't you make them do it yourself? Well, they're, they're out playing. They're out having a good time. They're not worried about this stuff. You do it because they're your child. Romans 8.34, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is right at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Understand that he's standing there at the throne, bearing your burdens before the Father, carrying your cares, saying, I, I will intercede on their behalf. I will be their advocate. I will be their lawyer. I will be their defender. Ephesians 2.19, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You are not a stranger. 
You're not an alien. Maybe we don't know your name. Don't worry. We'll try our best to change that. If you know Christ, you belong here. You're part of his family. You have a family of believers, saints that have joined together. We are not a stranger anymore. We are part of the household of God. I could go on and on, but the point, the point is clear. When we come to know Christ, when we begin to abide in Christ, when Christ who is our life comes and dwells in us, He brings us riches that we cannot even fathom. Why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. The heavenly places. God has given you so much. My question is, do you know the riches that are yours? Do you comprehend the riches that are in Christ? Have you accessed these riches in your life? The story is told that one day William Randolph Hearst was looking through a book of famous artwork. A particular painting caught his eye and he said, I want this painting for my collection." aides began to look around, but after making some inquiries, they reported they were unable to locate the particular work that he wanted. Hearst said, if you value your job, do what it takes to find that treasure and secure it for me. Finally, sometime later, the aides came back to William Randolph Hearst. Did you find the treasure? He asked, Yes. Much searching and painstaking research, we found it. They then asked, did you purchase it? They said, no. Her said, why not? They said, because we found it in your warehouse. We found it. You already owned it. You already possessed it. So many of us as Christians are living lives of discouragement and defeated. You're sitting there thinking, woe is me. Why is all this happening to me? What is going on? And Christ is wanting you to access the riches that are in Him. Paul says, my aim is that you would know this mystery. You would understand what it means to sit here and say that the very Son of God lives inside of my heart. Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom, knowledge. You can go and earn all the degrees you want, but if you don't know Christ, your learning is worthless. If you don't have Christ, all your wisdom is worthless. All your education amounts to nothing. He is all you need. I ask you today, do you really, really understand that? Do you really believe that? Do you really understand? I've shared that story before about the couple who didn't make a lot of money. They wanted to go on a cruise so bad. They finally saved enough money to buy the tickets. As that day came, they carried an extra suitcase full of peanut butter, tuna, crackers, all that stuff. And every day of mealtime, they would go back to their room. Man, they had such a great time on that cruise. 
On that last day, someone asked him, how come we never see you around the meals? He sheepishly admitted that they didn't have enough money. They've been eating in a room. The person had to tell them, don't you know those meals were included? They were included in the ticket. They were included in the price. Man, that peace in your heart is included in the price of redemption. The security of knowing that you belong to Him, that the name to become a child of God is included in the redemption. Don't allow yourself to give in. Fall prey to that discouragement and doubt and fear. Christ has what you need. Psalmist said, Whom have I in heaven? Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. The flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. My body may fail, but God, God is all I have. He's all I need, and He is all I want. Paul's great struggle for the church, his great desire for the church, finally, his great concern. His great concern. Paul says, I want you to know the riches that are found in Christ. And I want you to know them so that you will not be led astray. Look at verse 4 there. He says, I say this in that order, in order that no one may delude you with plausible Arguments. The word plausible, of course, means convincing, fine-sounding arguments that make you say, well, yeah, that, that obviously makes a lot of sense. It has to be what it is. Apostle Paul realizes there are those out there who would like nothing more than to deceive the church, to get them to invest in lies and distortions and truths and take them away from the centrality of the gospel. After all, God wants you to be happy, right? You've been engaging in an immoral lifestyle. Engaging in a lifestyle that is contrary to the Word of God certainly makes me happy. Certainly that is what God wants. Why would He not want that for me? It's true, we can live in a world where you can put together multimedia presentation put together slick social media packaging. With these things, you can lead many astray. That's why Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Preach God to the fall, or please God to the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Choose the man's signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. I've said it before already. Looking at Colossians, I'll say it again. I don't have anything fancy to offer you. Yes, there's no excuse and I need to make sure I'm working to make sure that my sermons are coherent, logical, that they make sense. And yes, probably in some ways that they're a little bit shorter. I didn't hear any amen, so I guess it's... 
The fact of the matter is, I, I don't have any great new fancy argument to offer you. I don't have anything else I can tell you. Yes, we need good music that's in tune and harmonious, but we don't have anything new to sing to you. All we have is the same old message, the same old song. That's the song of a God who loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for your sins. And if you will believe in Him, you can have life through His name. Whether that message comes through in lyrics by Chris Tomlin or Isaac Watts or Martin Luther or even David the psalmist, it's the same old words. Whether or not I use the speakers or do something, or not the speakers, the TVs, or do something impressive or attractive, the message is still the same. Christ is enough for you. He is all you need. You don't need any other argument. You don't need any other fancy delusion to come and take you away from Him. You need to go back to the cross. Yes, I get it. Your professor there at your college sounds so good and so convincing. Sounds so much better than I do on Sunday mornings. He'd love to tell you, she'd love to tell you that this Bible is written by a bunch of bigots and homophobes and whatever else. But it's a lie from the enemy that's going to lead you astray. And I know Oprah will put somebody on her television show not that she's a thing anymore, but whatever. And they'll tell you there's a new way of looking at all this stuff. And unfortunately, there are those who would call themselves evangelical Christians who will tell you they have a new way, a new approach. We don't. Still Christ and Him crucified. Christ in Him crucified is still where all the riches of God are found. My question to you is this. Are you looking for something different? Are you looking for something new and attractive, enticing? You're thinking there's got to be something better than just singing all amazing grace every Sunday and hearing me get up and say, ask Christ to come into your heart. Let me tell you something, there's nothing else out there. And so though the apostle is not with him in person, he is glad. He is glad that they are standing firm in the truth of the gospel. Verse 5, though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order firmness of your faith in Christ. I rejoice. And I rejoice in my spirit when I see you all week after week. I hear your voices singing the songs of Zion that we sing. It does my heart glad. Rejoice when I hear you say God is working and moving in my life and you give testimony of the faithfulness and goodness of God in your life. I challenge you this morning, stand firm. Stand firm in that truth.
Stand firm when things get hard in this truth. Stand firm when you, when your world seems to be falling apart, that Jesus loves you and that you are going to go and be with him forever one day. Be firmly persuaded that Jesus is your only hope. Firmly standing on the faith once delivered to the saints. Do you wish you could hear something new and different, something that would make a little bit more sense or fit in with our modern world? We don't have that this morning. What we do have is the truth, truth on which you can base your life. What we do have is peace that passes understanding. What we do have is guidance for when life gets hard. What we do have is comfort when you are at your worst. What we do have is a reality that there's a God who loves you gave His Son to die for your sins. And there are more riches in that than you'll ever find in this world. He is all you need. Amen. Let's pray this morning, shall we?